Hello and welcome to the Citizen Femme podcast, the show where we learn about the journeys of 12 inspiring women. In this episode, we are talking to the brilliant movement coach, Polly Bennett. Welcome, Polly. I am so, so excited to have you join us. I'm going to let you introduce yourself so you can tell our listeners about how wonderful you are. Oh my gosh, yes. Hello, I'm Polly Bennett. I'm very wonderful. Um, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm Polly and I am a movement coach and choreographer um, working across theatre, television and film. Let's start at the beginning. When you were a child, Polly, <laughs> what did you dream of becoming? I mean, I guess it kind of, you know, a way of talking about this is that I was, I was a dancer, you know, I was a dancer as a child. I was, you know, always flinging around. I was reminiscing the other day about, I remember the moment that my mum said, would you like to go to ballet classes? And, um, and I remember because I was running around my kitchen table being chased by my brother. And I, I think they, my parents always struggled with me having quite a lot of energy and having, um, quite a lot of spirit <laughs> and um, and being quite inventive with how I was playing. So I think that that was kind of the start of me wanting to um, be engaged with performance in some way. I sort of kidded myself that I wanted to be a ballerina, sort of pretended that that's what I wanted to do, um, as maybe lots of young girls, you know, think about doing. But I... I I knew that there was something bigger that I wanted to do, or it was more, or, or maybe more specific that I wanted to do in terms of performance. So I was around. My father was a um, trumpet player, uh, and my mom was a teacher. And you just kind of looking back, everything now makes sense that through them I was experiencing the world in a very particular way. I was spending a lot of time in rehearsal rooms. Uh, my mum was quite into amateur dramatics. So I, I guess to answer your question, I, I was dreaming of um, the the idea of uh, of community and, and people and sharing. And so that sort of informed quite a lot of what I did as a kid and what I did, you know, going through my, my teens. I started choreographing at school and you know, at the age of sort of 12, I was choreographing the main school musicals. And, you know, that could have passed by as just something frivolous, but it was actually, I was working. So when people say, how long have you been being a movement director or a choreographer? I'm like, well, I've sort of always, sort of always been doing it. And, um, and I guess that took me right the way through to university where I also started choreographing, but also people asking me, oh, could you do a little bit of movement on this show? And me being like, I don't really know what movement is, but other people could kind of see in me that that's the way I thought and that's the way I translated material and that's the way I could activate actors is through movement and physicality. And yeah, it kind of trickled on from that. So I guess that's the big question is, what is a movement director? And how is that different from a choreographer? Yeah, so... I mean, they sort of live side by side, you know, they're, they're all part of the same uh, family. You know, choreography exists through movement and movement exists through choreography. So, you know, it's only recently that people have started calling me a movement coach, which always kind of like scares me because it sort of sounds like I should have a whistle and like a tracksuit and kind of yelling at the side of a room somewhere. Um, 
uh, and so, uh, but in theatre, I would be called a movement director more often than not. And that it that term is kind of used to identify the work that brings a group of actors together in the same physical world. So the work that I would do as a movement director is character-led, um, environment-led. You know, so if we're, you know, I don't know, doing a play set in war, how are those people living? What's their rhythm of life? Um, how are they... Um, how are they manipulated by what they see and how does that change their physicality? Uh, so it's a bit grander. It's, it's, fe- it's feeding into the whole world of a, of, of, of a play or a performance. Whereas choreography, in its purest sense, you might be able to go five, six, seven, eight, you're doing these steps. And this is a, a dance that we are that either I have made up in my bedroom and I'm and translating to a group of actors or that whether it's choreography and um, that comes out of a feeling that you're working with. Uh, but usually choreography would be identified as, you know, steps set to music in some way and movement can be much broader um, and, uh, you know, it's a changing, it's a changing landscape, the movement landscape. But I, I don't think these two things exist separately. No, yeah, I think that's really interesting that they're very much together. But I guess movement is how you sit, how you stand, how you move as a character over and above a routine as such. Yeah, exactly. And then, and of course, that translates into, you know, if... Uh, I don't know, you were in a play and your character had to dance. It's not necessarily that they're the world's greatest dancer. It's what, 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 how do they dance? Um, what makes a character move the way that they move? And for me, over the last couple of years, that has become so, such an important part of my work because I'm going right back to the beginnings of a person, going right back to the heritage, the movement heritage of a person to be able to work out why they do the things that they do. Um, and sometimes that turns into performance, you know, sometimes that turns into a dance routine. Um, but it means that we're not making, or I'm not uh, making an actor do some steps that don't make sense to a character. Would you go to a lot of theatre or dance shows performances growing up especially if your parents had such a creative background yeah massively I mean I I've again I'm reflecting on this quite a lot lately especially because you know and I now have nieces and nephews and I'm sort of seeing what they are and aren't seeing uh and it's interesting because I I saw so much and my dad has said to me that I was always quite discerning as a as a child. I would notice if someone was not in the right place or, um, you know, if I remember seeing a ballerina that didn't go fully up on her point shoes and I, I was on the train home with him being like, I just don't understand why she wasn't on her point shoes. And it really troubled me. You know, I, I thought about it for a long, a long time. And so, yeah, I, I saw so much and I was around music and, um, and obviously I was dancing. Uh, I joined the National Youth Theatre when I was 15. And, you know, again, was sort of part of a community of people that were interested in making theatre. You know, I, I, I was just around a lot of different things, um, which I think has, which is so 
at the foundation of what I do now is that I can call on a lot of different experiences and references to find out how other people's brains work and translate movement. So yeah, I, I, I was around a, a lot of stuff that is, is really important that I, you know, that I can still remember and, and refer to. Did you study something in this vein at university? Oh, well, I, you know, I didn't know that there was a movement director, you know, really existed. I, I also remember thinking that choreography wasn't really a job because it was just something I always did. So I, I didn't think to go and train in that very early on. But weirdly, I, I went to Edinburgh University and I did uh, a master's in history of art. And, um, and which, of course, my parents after I graduated were like why the hell are you going into theatre now after doing that but actually I it was it was movement studies you know it was the study of human beings uh, looking at art and paintings and pictures and sculptures and seeing how other people are expressing uh, feelings emotions stories through bodies particularly that was always I was always drawn to um pictures with the human form in them and photography and um you know even looking at renaissance paintings seeing the staging of these massive pictures and how you could get the story across in a way is is choreography and it was through history of art I started looking into like German expressionist art and I kind of became quite obsessed with painters from uh, between the two wars um, in, in Germany and Vienna. And that's what I ended up doing my dissertation on and, and kind of specializing in. And, uh, the, the, the title of my dissertation was the nerves on the outside, which I, I just find so funny because I didn't know then that that's what now my job is. My job is finding the feelings and showing it on the outside of the body. Um, and that's what I'm, you know, deeply deeply interested in um so yeah I I didn't go to study anything in particular but out out of out of that course I was uh inventing the job I think or inventing my version of the job um yeah and again it, 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 it along with all the experiences I was having at university I was you know directed a fashion show so these were all the very beautiful people at university uh wearing mad clothes and I I staged it and I did character work with them I I changed their characters for what clothes they were wearing um and again that could have passed by as just a frivolous thing but actually it, it all kind of simulated together into into what I did post university. What did you? What, what was your first job post university? Well, really, I mean, I, I think we all had it in, in, at that particular time. You know, it was out of, the, out of the recession, we were all going, "Oh God, I don't know what to do." Oh, we've just all done this, and you know, I was very confused when I left university, and I went back to my parents in Somerset and sort of moped around for a bit, and um, and realised that the thing that I needed to do was be around theatre in some way. And I went from working in a PR agency, a theatre PR agency, where I got to, again, talk to um, journalists about, you know, ballets that we were publicising or um, about shows that were going on. And I I, I started, uh, again, 
finding my way through PR into television production. And I went and worked for a a TV company. Um, And as a production assistant, I just sort of sat in the back and did spreadsheets, but kind of absorbed the world of of kind of strategy and and hierarchy and how things were being run and I was working on some adverts you know for uh, like a cereal brand and in that experience a model had to walk across a glass platform in a swimming pool and the poor woman was you know absolutely stunning and wearing a lovely outfit and her hair was all done and she had to walk on this glass platform under a swimming pool to make it look like she was walking on water and she fell in twice because she couldn't hear the beat in the music and she was sort of being heckled by the director to walk in time but she was had to eat a chocolate bar at the end of the you know at the end of the platform and I could just see us really struggling and she did it twice and then the reset was so massive because um you know it, it took about four hours to dry her hair and poof it up again and and everyone was really stressing out it was costing the production loads of money and so I ended up saying to the director can I can I do something and he, I remember the look in his eye being like, who the hell are you? Um, I had no idea. And I was, you know, some minion that sort of occasionally brought a coffee around. Um, and he was like, okay, fine, whatever, do what you need to do. Um, and so I went and spoke to this woman and uh, she was very stressed and she was holding a cigarette and sort of puffing away. And I just sort of was talking to her about her life and how she ended up here. And and then gradually just said, oh, just slow down your breathing with that cigarette. And gradually she did. And I said, oh, God, well, I'm just going to count eight counts. You're going to breathe in for four and you're going to breathe out for four. And she did that, slowly breathed out. Um, and then I got talking to her about she liked horse riding. And so I said, oh, how does a horse walk? And then she sort of did an impression of a horse. And I said, oh, could you just do that again, but four counts and then stop for four counts. And suddenly she could walk in time to the music. And she went back onto the glass platform. She held her chocolate bar. She walked for her eight counts. She breathed in that chocolate bar like a cigarette, breathed it out, and they didn't have to shoot anymore. And so that was, uh, you know, post-university and post that kind of, um, that sort of indecision and confusion about why why I had done the course that I had done. In that moment, I was like, oh, I've learned all these skills. I've learned how to speak to people. I've learned um, empathy. I've learned how to get into people's brains. Um, and I've learned about music and rhythm and um and imagery and that was the thing I was like okay there's a there's a there's a job in this and sure enough that director kept hiring me uh, for other adverts that he was doing and then you know sort of sent me off and I started choreographing for people that he knew and then um I found myself in Dubai where I um was part of the team for a opening ceremony of a, a FIFA Club World Cup, um, you know, performance. And then that took me to, you know, while I was out in Dubai, I was like, I need to study this in some way. I need to devote myself to this in some way. So I um, went to Central School for Speech and Drama, which is now called the Royal 
Central School for Speech and Drama. Um, and I did a, a one-year master's in movement studies, which of course, you know, was was so brilliant because I that was me going, I'm doing this. I'm going to be this person. I'm going to do this thing. Um, it didn't teach me choreography. It didn't teach me how to do it. I've already learned that, but it did give me the space to do it. And um, I ended up doing, again, my dissertation, um, just writing dissertations all over the place, um, uh, did a dissertation on uh, mass scale movement. How, what's the, how, do you, how do you find the individual in performance when you have a lot of people performing? Um, and that took me to speak to people that were putting together the team for the London 2012 opening ceremony. And then I got a job on that. So fresh out of fresh out of that course, I, you know, was the youngest person working on the choreography team um, for that opening ceremony, ceremony, which was absolutely mental because, you know, I was getting paid. I was getting paid for doing this thing that I'd been thinking about for a long time. Um, and that was really where I cut my teeth in terms of putting everything that I've learned together Um and of course, it was like the greatest job in the world because it was the greatest event. You know, it was it was so brilliant to be involved in that and to work with volunteers and professionals and a lot of other movement directors and choreographers that I have since, uh, you know, are since my friends and now um, people that I'd looked up to for a long time um, and still work with today. So. It's a that was a real kind of um, turning point, I think. So that first commercial was a real turning point, actually, for you to go. I guess this is the career. There is a career in this, and then you can take it well, fully commit to it and fly. And then to end up with the Olympics is such a momentous leap, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a real. Uh, whenever I talk about this or think about this, I just go, "Gosh, it's a really about." everything that you do will lead to something else if you allow it to. And I've, I've always been very last minute. I've never been very, um, not a, I'm not a great planner. (laughs) Um, and I think as a, as a person that has served me really well in this sense, because I don't really think about where it's leading to I just really enjoy doing the work. And I think that that very, that kind of mentality I also see is, is what I um, what I try and gift to actors is I'm allowing them to go, this is, this thing that you are doing has to come from somewhere and everything in that person's life that you are emulating or being or creating, this character that you are making, we have to see the kind of, the opportunistic changes that have happened in their life, which has led them to being the way that they are. And so in a way, I think I'm kind of oddly, uh, I I use the word teaching lightly because I I don't, I don't like to think of myself as a teacher, but I, I am um, inviting actors to, to, to see how uh, the, the decisions that characters and people make, um, uh, change their bodies and change who they who they become um, 
through through time and experience so yeah I think it's I'm thinking about it quite a lot I, I'm, I'm on a project at the moment uh where the the lady the, the actress that I'm working with Naomi Aki who's playing Whitney Houston I'm helping her become Whitney Houston um and uh you know we we keep laughing because I keep saying the work is the work is the work is the work and it's not about what you do on camera. It's about all the preparation. It's all the things that have led to you being there. And um, and I think that's, that's I don't know, I feel very safe in that idea at the moment because it's, it's serving me well. I think that's absolutely spot on. The preparation is absolutely everything. You don't just turn up on a set and it's magic. It's everything that comes before that and all that hard work you do. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the project that you're working on now and, you've had some sensational uh, work and, you know, huge congratulations. Rami Malik for Bohemian Rhapsody, um, The Crown um, with Emma Corrin. You just mentioned earlier before this, uh, Baz Luhrmann, you're working with on the new Elvis Presley biopic. T- tell us about some of these <laughs> projects. Oh, it sounds really good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's, but it's interesting because I, I very, you know, this is why it's so nice to be invited onto onto programs like this because I don't get to really talk about how this how this translates and how this works. And you know, I it, it, again, like I've just said, the the work is the work is the work. I I've worked in theatre as a movement director for you know eight years. And this was eight years of being paid not very much money and um, crashing jobs on top of them, each other. You know, this was, I was working for shows that will say, can we have you for three days a week? Um, and then, of course, you take another job that's three days a week and suddenly you're working six days a week. Uh, and those jobs are probably not in London. Uh, they're on a train somewhere and, you know, and traveling around and trying to balance um, to balance trying to be a human being as well as trying to make some money in that industry, um, because you know, let's not be silly. Like we 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 love it. I love it, but you know, you have to pay your rent, and um, and then you know, all of that work and all of those. I, you know, I was laughing the other day about how I there was. I remember one company wouldn't pay for a sleeper train for me. And uh, so I ended up sleeping under a table on a on a train um, that was stopped so that I could get to Plymouth or something that I was working on. I was sort of going, God, how how mad that that sacrifice had to happen. But at the same time, all of that kind of effort has amounted into me being pulled into rooms um, of really, really exciting projects. And I was invited to interview for Bohemian Rhapsody after I worked actually with the same um, movement director that I was the assistant of on the London 2012 Olympics, Toby Sedgwick, who, you know, is an incredible um, performer as well as choreographer and movement director. Uh, He's like one of the founding performers of Complicite. So I sort of sort of was taken under his wing. And then he brought me on to Stan and Ollie, which was um, Steve Coogan and John C. Riley playing Laurel and Hardy. And uh, whilst Toby did a lot of the slapstick uh, sort of routines of Laurel and Hardy, I was there to 
help with the dancing. There's a, a, a dance from the film Way Out West that they were trying to um, replicate. And um, through that, I sort of studied these characters about how they moved um, and was trying to work out what made them so affable and what made people like them and why it's so funny when Laurel and Hardy are doing a dance. And um, I absolutely loved it. And as a result of that, uh, I think a producer spoke to my agent who then said, oh, you should interview for Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, And I was up against a whole heap of swanky, swanky choreographers that, you know, really in loads of ways should have got the job, (laughs) you know, like because they're, because they're, um, you know, brilliant uh, and and had done a lot of work, but they they were really, the production was really pushing for someone shiny. And I was sort of this, you know, at that time, someone who was sleeping on trains um, and didn't have a a house in London because I wasn't earning enough money. And um, yeah, I really was uh, trying very hard, I think. And so Bohemian Rhapsody, I interviewed for it. I had an interview with Rami. and I remember, you know, obviously the conversation is like, how do you think Freddie moves and what? how would you approach it? And I remember I was wearing dungarees and I had my pair in a top knot and I was a bit messy. And I was like, well, we just got to work it out. We've got to work out why he does it. Um, and I, I, you know, have since spoken to Rami about that interview. And he's just like, you came in just, and you said something about, Freddie Mercury wearing a superhero cape um, in his imagination. And I sort of demonstrated it. And Rami sat in the interview and he just, in his head, put on a superhero cape. And suddenly that gave him a lift in the chest and a broadness in the shoulders that you would associate with Freddie Mercury. Um, So I remember leaving that interview and the producer, uh, Richard Hewitt, um, sort of shook my hand and said, you've really put the cat amongst the pigeons there and I left being like okay bye and then I got on a train to Bristol and I went and did a little show in Bristol and got the phone call that that afternoon saying that I've got the job and um cue you know an incredible sort of uh experience of doing a deep dive on Freddie Mercury you know reading everything watching everything um trying to work out why he moved the way that he did um and in that kind of studying like a like a degree you know studying Freddie Mercury and I um you know in discovering he boxed uh, as a kid and he was a long distance runner I was able to kind of go oh that's why he punches the sky and that's why he can run across stage a lot uh so then I know to work with Rami I needed to get those things into his body rather than just punching. I had to go punch like a boxer. So we're going to go boxing. We're going to go running around um, Regent's Park and singing at the same time to get that feeling of, um, to get that feeling of performance and getting, getting a song out. And so this is, again, it's, it's laying the foundations of a person. It's going right back to who they are, who they've been around, what food they've eaten, what spaces they've lived in, uh, to be able to see how they move. And and uh, on Bohemian Rhapsody, I met the dialect coach, William Conacher, who works on The Crown. So I was invited to come and work for The Crown. I've been working on The Crown since, since Series 3. 
and I work across all of the characters because obviously they're all people that are uh you know that we recognize so again it's trying to help actors go not be terrified of playing princess diana and go this is how princess diana moves and let's work it out and how that sits in your body and how that essence of a person can be carried um whilst you can still be free to be an actor you know and not trapped by the person that you're playing um yeah so again it, it just and then it just one thing led to another and i've sort of i guess fallen into this sort of pattern of uh of these biopics and um and yeah recently just came back from working with Baz Luhrmann which was insane um doing the Elvis Presley biopic working with Austin Butler um on that kind of transformation and of course with things like Elvis it's so terrifying because it's a it's someone that we know so well and people have such a affiliation with and can go, oh, well, he does that with his hips and he, he's like this, doesn't he? And he does a ha-ha and he, you know, wiggles like this. Um, but again, you study it and I studied it and sometimes it's not his hips, it's his knees. And suddenly, as soon as you give that to an actor, move your knees, not your hips, then the movement comes. And yeah, so I, I've sort of really enjoyed these kind of um research projects and yeah that's where I'm that's where I am at the moment and I'm still choreographing other things and um you know I work on other tv programs that aren't about biopics or people that we we are familiar with as well and all of that still feeds into the work um so I've always got lots of different material to kind of pull from there's a huge amount of pressure to to learn and research a character like Elvis Presley or Princess Diana that people know, that people feel like they could have related to um, so much more than perhaps recreating a character from scratch. So uh, to be able to give an actor that confidence or or anyone that's playing that role is tremendous. So yeah. that research is immense. It's terrifying. What a terrifying thing. So if I said to you now, like, you're going to go on stage tomorrow and play Whitney Houston. You know, like, where do you begin? And that, and and this is where movement coaches, movement directors, choreographers c- can be so helpful behind the scenes of productions because um, otherwise they're actors by themselves. You know, that's mm-hmm. the other thing. Like in theatre, you have a community of people, you have a group that are all part of the same story and you get to share a space with them and um, you get to hang out and, uh, you know, you're all part of the same world. Whereas film actors are regularly in different places around the world from each other, and then they turn up for filming. So how do you prepare? Uh, how, how can you do that? And, um, you know, wonderfully, movement people are starting to be used more and more um, and hopefully recognised for that work. Um yeah, so it, it does it does give actors a huge amount of confidence. Um and not confidence as in, you know, arrogance. It's not a confidence to like be to be the best. It's confidence to be able to translate um a, an authentic character because ultimately that's what we want to see. We, you know, as audiences, we want to see authenticity. So you've worked a lot on in theatre as well. What is the difference or is there a big difference other than obviously turning up to set and theatre, you've got that community around you. What would a day be like or what's that preparation like 
for film compared to theatre. And I know you also worked with the Royal mm. Shakespeare Company. Yeah. Well, I, I, it is, they are, you know, effectively, you know, the work is, ends up being the same ultimately. But, you know, I, I yeah, I was um, resident movement uh, what was my job title? Movement, I don't know what I was, movement person <laughs> at the RSC for um, a year under Strew and Leslie, who used to be the head of movement there. Um, and I, I guess that's a kind of anomalous job because it, the RSC is, you know, one of the only theatres now that had, well, actually it doesn't, which is really sad. It used to have a movement department. You know, movement used to be ingrained in the building um, in the sense that when actors were in Stratford-upon-Avon for a season, they would also have access to a movement person to do extra work, to train, to, um, you know, just keep learning, keep their body active. Um, And that, unfortunately, uh, isn't the case anymore. So... Sadly, I think movement can sometimes in theatre be seen as something that gets put on. Um, actually, that's not true. Not not just in theatre. I think broadly it can be seen as something that gets put on. And, um, and by that I mean I need to learn how to do a waltz, so I will learn a waltz and they get the facts. Whereas um, a movement director's approach is to come in from sort of underneath and go why is it a waltz and are you are you good at a waltz and can you hear the music and you know to try and find a different way through that kind of um uh gauntlet I guess so in answer to your question what's what's different from theatre to film is is not not much but the fight the fight for the movement director is the thing that's slightly different, I guess. It's, movement direction in theatre has, has translated into, you know, the broader concept of a show, the scene changes, the um, uh, the way that the company bows at the end of the performance, uh, whether there's a big shipwreck scene, it's how the shipwreck happens on stage, how we make events happen on stage. Um, in film I still think there's a there's a bit of um, a resistance to acknowledge that movement would be a helpful part of the process and you know it's it's not lost on me that mainly my work in tv and film has been on character-led projects where it's just about people um, as I say sort of becoming a person that we already know However, on every film or TV project that I've worked on, somebody has been like, oh, there's this other thing that we need help with. (laughs) And that hasn't been about replicating another human being. It's been about, oh, we need the, I don't know, we need the crowd. The crowd in Elvis, um, let's say, have a very, very particular response to Elvis Presley. This is like the start of the teenager. So my work then started to translate into what makes young girls scream. Now, there's a version of the film which is Elvis does a little jig on stage and everyone who's been hired as an extra for the day screams wildly. But what Baz wanted was a real authentic uh, response 
And so I was holding workshops with big groups of young women in Australia to to work out the science of why screaming happens. And then I got to go and research why why girls scream, <laughs> you know, and some boys, but you know, largely women are known to 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 scream in certain situations. So I I feel like that work was so um, galvanizing for for Baz and for how the film was being put together. And hopefully, you know, when it comes out, you'll see the value of that. Um, because we did on on set, you know, the, the idea of there being something inside your body that you have to, you, you've never experienced before because these women, these young girls were corseted in. They had to be married by the time they were 16. You know, it was a, it was a completely different way of living life. Um, and so to, to uncorset yourself in front of Elvis Presley was such a, uh, an excitement. It's such a new, uh, experience. So I'm, I'm giving that example because I think that shows that movement work in film is hopefully going to become more important because audiences can tell the difference when someone is just screaming because they've been told to and screaming because they're showing, um, an emotional journey and uh I, but it's only through certain directors that enable that to happen um so I've sort of gone off point a little bit but I, I hope that kind of shows that that there's theater theater work is um inviting movement directors to fix things and to um create to create scenes and uh, that that work is being done and that's fairly accepted. Um, the money is less, the budgets are less, so you're allowed to be in less. Um, so there is a certain stop point, I think, for the work of a movement director under the current systems um, in theatre. Whereas in film, I'm getting hired to do whole films now rather than just come in for a day. Uh, so I'm not on a day rate. I'm not on a day contract. Uh, I am invited to be there for the whole six month shoot or to be involved in prep. And on the Whitney Houston biopic, I've I've become an associate producer. And that's because of how much work I'm doing for the for the greater scale of the film. I'm talking to the 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 casting department about the bands and I'm talking to the music department I'm talking to costume about how we're replicating or nodding to certain performances so you're you're very much bringing together every strand of um every department through movement because you know movement's everything like we would we, we it's how we read everything it's how, you know our body language and how we associate with the world is all a choice you know, it's all a choice based on what you're seeing and what you're experiencing. So, yeah, I, I feel like I, I'm really excited about what's ha- currently happening on this project because I'm I'm being given the credit and I've been given the space to make a difference across the whole story rather than just focusing on Whitney Houston. Because Whitney Houston won't make sense if she doesn't have the right Bobby Brown or she doesn't have... Um, the, the right fans in the audience or um, if her if her guitar player doesn't dance with her. So the, the work gets more expansive. So 
I'm hoping that that continues because uh, it's all about value, isn't it? It's about how you feel valued doing your work. And yeah, I'm starting to feel more valued, which is nice. As you rightly should. Um, I think you've, you've made some really interesting points there with film allowing more depth, um, more authenticity, uh, the time afforded to create that, which sometimes theatre doesn't have budget-wise, time-wise, all of those uh, factors. And actually just the term body language, that is everything, um, which is such an important and good way of describing it because it, it really tells the story uh, because of how a character presents itself and how everyone around that character mm. presents themselves. So the scream and doing all that research is is fascinating. You mentioned workshops and going to Australia and doing these workshops. Tell me about <laughs> monobots. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, you know, I can talk about movement till the cows come home, but I guess alongside the, my work as a movement director, um, I've been running a company called The Monobox for nearly nine years. Um, and that, you know, this was an idea that started because myself and my best friend, Joan Iola, who's an actress, were lost, <laughs> simply lost. Like, you know, you've already heard about my sort of life story of going from job to job and, you know, effectively, you know, uh, romantically not having a house for a very long time and because nobody could help us me you know nobody nobody was saying hey Polly you're a movement director you should do that I was just working it out but I was working it out because I I had people that I'd met that were helping me um you know like uh, socially helping me rather than professionally and um through the kind of camaraderie of meeting people at the National Youth Theatre where I met Joan, um, I knew that theatre and uh, this sort of work was possible. And so we started writing to uh, famous people, basically, and asked them to send us plays that they would recommend um, to read and largely we asked them for plays because we couldn't afford to buy plays but we knew that we needed to read plays to understand what the industry was um, and sure enough people started sending us plays you know I remember the day Judy Dench sent us a play in the post and we sort of sat around it staring at it as if it was like you know an amazing treasure like lighting up in front of us like Indiana Jones or something and we, we were so excited and, and gradually we we um, over the years have collected nearly 5,000 plays. Um, we've run workshops where people can come and read the plays, um, work with directors on scenes, and it's expanded and morphed into a, a, a massive kind of training hub where um, Joan and I bring in people from across the industry that we've worked with and invite them into uh, to pass on their expertise to young people who um, might not be able to afford it um, as they're starting out. So it's a really affordable network um, and uh, training ground, I guess, for people to come and experiment and and dive into all the different possibilities that the the theatre and film and television industries could could provide them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very much in response to being the person that you needed to have around when you were younger. And actually, you know, because of the way 
my career is going in in this movement way I've actually stepped back from the monobox um only very recently and Joan is also stepping more into producing and writing and um so we've actually just passed it on to new leadership which is just amazing because we somebody else wants to run our company like what an amazing thing like I, I sort of can't believe that something that we sort of started in a bedroom uh kind of going you know, can can someone give us a play, please, has turned into something that is going to run um, and be run by somebody else. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's really good. You know, I'm still involved in it. We're both still involved in the company and will continue to be because we feel so passionate about it. And it's been amazing to actually be working in the work that I've been doing in, in rehearsal rooms, but also be feeding back into young people and people who are feeling lost and actually those two things are, have lived completely side by side and I wouldn't also be in the position that I am at the moment if I hadn't started Monobox. Like it's it's such a important thing to be to be not just doing the thing that you're doing, you know. There's Anne Bogart who is a, is a theatre practitioner talks about um, teaching one, uh, no, learning one, doing one, teaching one. And that's very much, uh, that resonates with me greatly is that it can get very seductive when you start doing shiny things like Hollywood movies, but to also go, I could go and teach somebody uh, something else. I could go and teach this to someone and see how that changes their life, makes it uh, a whole different experience. And, And that's why I still do workshops. I still, you know, I, I put call outs and say, does anyone want to come and learn what I do or do you want to come and talk about this uh, you know and does anyone need any help and try and mentor people because I didn't have that you know I you know I had n- not in a woe is me way but people didn't know what I was up to it was just it was just this like little track I was on um so that's why yeah I, I still run workshops I still try and work with young people um worked in prisons um and also, you know, work with uh, amateur performers as well. You know, one of my favourite things is is working with a choir called Lips, um, which are a trans-inclusive um, uh, female choir. And uh, I, I love working with them, you know. It's just joy to to bring a bit of what I do in a in a in a bigger scale to people that have worked all day in an office or as doctors or you know as teachers themselves and 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 uh, spend time with them because actually they're the biggest teachers back to me because if I'm just around actors all the time I sort of beautifully might lose my mind but uh you know taking little bits from from every walk of life is um is still what is what formed me so I have to keep doing that otherwise you know what's the point there's a lovely motto I follow, learn, earn, return. Ah, there you go. That's good. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> what has been your career highlight to date? Look, I'm not like, I, I, I really, honestly, it's it's so nice to talk about all this stuff because you just don't, you know, I just don't. I'm, a, I'm, I've, I've sit behind the scenes quite often, you know, and um, so I, 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 I'm enjoying talking about this because I feel very proud 
of of all of the things I feel very proud of not getting um not getting pulled in the wrong way uh, you know not believing your own hype but you know all the all the things that you get scared about doing when you are when you reach a certain point or from the outside I'm sort of doing that kind of um, inverted commas with my hands uh, because it, it feels kind of icky to me to kind of celebrate um, all of the things yet at the same time uh, I feel really proud of the 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 sort of x-factor journey of this you know I, I've, I've so a, a highlight is you know it's actually not all the fancy stuff it, it is seeing lips perform on stage I love watching them perform because I see the value of the work really purely um I I just did a Kaylee um for the crown for their upcoming season five and I was in a position where I could bring in people like there had to be a hundred extras and the extras team were like, we're finding people that look a certain way. And I said, can I find the other people? And I cast um, some people that I've met at the Monobox. I cast some people that I know have just graduated from drama school who haven't got any work. I rung drama schools to find out who didn't get an agent in the last three years. And I give those people the jobs. And um, because because that's what I wish had happened for me along the way, you know? So I, I feel those are the highlights when you get to see people, you know, there was a, a lovely actress, um, Scarlett Maltman, who I got in as a dancer on The Great, and um, she got picked from the dancers for a part. And I just love that. I love that so much. I, lo- I like, I really enjoy seeing good things happen to good people because they've been given an opportunity. And it just, yeah, I, I, I say that is a massive highlight. Um, it's all those little puckerings of joy. And, and also they, they happen mainly in rehearsal rooms, you know, it's, it's not the end product. It's, it's the rehearsal rooms where Rami finally could do one, two, three, four, and five, six, seven, eight, and one you know, with his feet for the beginning of Radio Gaga for Bohemian Rhapsody. It's that moment I will never forget. I will never forget where he did that the first time. Um, you know, it's where Naomi, who's playing Whitney Houston, could sing the whole of the AMA's medley. It's nine and a half minutes long. She can sing it. She can sing it through. She can do all of the gestures and they come from a truthful place. That's a massive highlight. Um, choreographing a Baz Luhrmann film like are you insane massive it's just a massive thing and I I love I love being in a rehearsal room and going god I'm just a a little I'm just a little girl from Somerset who has you know his who was asked if she wanted to dance after running around the kitchen table and so I feel really proud of those those events um yeah, all of them are so massively inspirational and all the stories that you gave before the massive blockbusters, I mean, they sent shivers down my spine. Like they're, they're so wonderful. I wish there were more people like you. It's so lovely to hear you giving all those opportunities and calling the drama schools, finding the ones who don't find the agent, all of that. It's just, it's so wonderful of you to do that and think in that way um, and give everyone that opportunity 
because of the opportunities that you've have had from your own hard work. So, you know, well done to that. That's really, really good of you. Is there a particular actor or director or producer that you would love to work with or a project that you'd want to work on or a character that you'd want to recreate with an actor? What would be a dream project or or character or actor? Oh, my gosh. I mean, look, I am obsessed there's a there's a real candid version to this and then there's like a wider broader like you know dream for the for the industry (laughs) um I love Stevie Nicks so much with all my heart and um I think there's such a an amazing story in Fleetwood Mac and um and uh and and you know some sort of there's some story there that I would I would love to work on, of course. But also, like, there are actors that I go, oh, it'd be so good to get in a room with them. Not necessarily to to do a biopic of anyone. I'm sort of, you know, I I, I love biopics. I love trying to work these people out. Um, but I don't want to do it forever, you know. I I but I would love to. I don't want to like, you know. Of course, I don't. I, I mean, I don't want to just do that. You know, I want to make sure that I'm still being able to feed that uh, that work with by doing other things. But look, I'd love to be in a room with um, Joaquin Phoenix. I'd love to be in a room with Leonardo DiCaprio. I'd love to be in a room with Viola Davis. Like, you know, I'd love to work with a, with you know. But any actor can can change a process, you know. And so I I just I just love to. Um, be around people that want to investigate work physically um but also you know I'd love to what I'd really want to see is more projects where movement is accepted and um put as a a headline on in the in the crew list you know I just had to fight on this project that I'm doing right now I was in the I was in the miscellaneous box on the crew list and um I was so furious about it (laughs) I was so furious because, again, you know, it's about how, how, for me, how women are valued on set, and also how movement is valued uh, industry wide, and um, and I, I really, I I risk being, no, actually, I don't risk. I I'm I'm getting much better at sticking up for myself, you know, on on in these projects to go. No, I need this to do my job. I need this. I need you to put me as the movement department on the crew list, not miscellaneous, not additional labour, not a day player. I'm in this, and so that means that what I'd like to do in the future, uh, aside from work with individual people, of course, is to to be involved in projects that provide that uh, scale and opportunity. And if that means I have to make my own, I'm going to have to do that. Um, I, I now with this kind of production experience and the production experience that I started with, I'm starting to put that together and go, actually, I can produce this work or maybe I need to write that story. And, um, I've got a couple of ideas and a couple of kind of relationships sort of pending uh, about this so that I've got to keep topping myself up and furthering my brain process. Otherwise I'll get bored. And um, 
and it's never served me well to not keep trying something slightly different so yeah that I'm I'm kind of um I want to work on things that allow the space for my brain to do the things that I I, I think are important and I I don't want to uh, stay in a box I don't want to stay that's what I mean about I don't want to stay in the sort of biopic space I don't want to just do that um and so that's the kind of mental state that I have to get into to go don't accept it you've got to keep trying you've got to keep um uh being curious about how things are run and produced and made and uh I guess just because things are the way they are doesn't mean that's the way they need to stay and that's a quite a big thing for me at the moment so that's what I'm putting into the world that's what I'm going to push out there hopefully it will work I have no doubt the world will listen and all of that (laughs) will come Polly thank you so much it's been so interesting to speak to you and hear about your journey the projects um, that you've worked on that you're working on absolutely fascinating where can we follow you on social media oh my god uh come on um pollyanna bennett on instagram um and po po underscore b on twitter um and uh, it's my rap name obviously um (laughs) but yeah uh, on instagram and that's where you can kind of see what i'm up to um my website is pollybennettmovement.com um and you know for anyone that's interested in what I'm doing or wants to learn like get in touch I've got a contact page and you know I can't promise anything but I really do try to get people in the room with me to just see and be involved as much as possible and um you know as I say it's it's, it's a bit harder now with this thing called COVID I don't know if you've heard of it but um you know this I'm 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 trying to uh, I, I'm always happy to speak to people. And of course, movement work can develop into, you know, it's not just acting, it's personal confidence and it's business and it's politics. And it's um, for lots of, particularly for lots of women, I'm interested in speaking to them about things that are holding you back and physically what you're carrying and excavating. So um, I'm I'm curious about that and I find it interesting to talk to people. So, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, I urge people, if for whatever industry you're in, you don't have to be in the creative industry, anything, offices or otherwise. It's such a useful lesson to learn. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's we, you know, the first thing, we weren't we weren't meant to wear shoes, you know? Someone put, put us in shoes and put us in clothes, you know? We're, we're meant to be barefoot in the forest. And, uh, and sometimes if you can, if you can emulate that, in your day to day and I don't mean go and run naked in the forest but I mean to to connect with your body again the way that it was made to be um sometimes that can uh that can change you know a huge amount about how you see yourself in the world and how um people see you so yeah like there's nothing like a good shake out put some loud music on dance around don't do anything else turn your phone off and just move and I promise you a whole heap of possibilities will come. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do rate and review us. And make sure to check out seasons one and two and the first three episodes of this season. Catch you next time.